You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you will explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. Hello, listeners. Happy Tuesday. We are at the beginning of a brand new week. You have an entire week to make a brand new impact on this world and to get your to-do list done. I believe in you. You can do it. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on this Tuesday. You're listening to another episode of Influencer Moms on episode number 28 of the Tranquility Tribe podcast. I am beyond excited to share today's guest with y'all. I know you're going to walk away from this episode so energized. I'm sitting down with Lisa Marie Ryan. Trust me, when I first spoke to her, I left feeling the same way. She is a wealth of knowledge, she's so kind, and she delivers some of the most sensitive information in a gentle but very direct way. My favorite. She has a beautiful family and is impacting postpartum women's lives in a big, big, big way. She has an incredible journey of body image, acceptance, struggling to gain control of her own body after children, and is sharing her stories of not taking no for an answer, or rather, finding the proper trained medical professionals to serve you. After having two boys of her own, Lisa experienced diastasis recti that was more than just a few fingers. For those of you listening thinking, what the heck does that mean? Generally, diastasis recti is measured in the number of fingers that can fit between your abdominal muscles. Lisa tells me that a whole fist plus some was the measurement of her DR, and she now awaits surgery to fix her postpartum body. Every postpartum woman should schedule a visit with a pelvic floor therapist. You guys know my spiel on this. You should have an evaluation following childbirth regardless. Lisa has become a trailblazer for women all over the world and is a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism specialist. Listeners, Please remember, nothing in this episode is to be considered medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should always consult your healthcare physician before doing any physical activity or exercise. Just keep your heads on, people. Tuning in from Michigan, and I am busting at the seams to dive into diastasis recti, unresponsive fascia, and the harmful effects of exercise, either in pregnancy or too soon in postpartum. Lisa, welcome to the Tranquility Tribe podcast. Hi, I'm so excited to be here tonight. I am so excited to um, share everything that you have to say with all of our listeners. I feel um, almost like we don't have enough time, but I have to remember that you <laughs> always come back for more shows. So before we dive into really just everything, can you tell us a little bit about your family? Um, sure. So I have my husband, Jared, and I have two sons. Um, one just turned four. We had a huge birthday party. Um, he also got his four-year-old shots yesterday, which was interesting, <laughs> but we survived. And then my other son is 17 months old, Dean. So Chase is the four-year-old, and then Dean is the 17-month-old. And we have two cats that I've had for about 13 years, and one dog that is a little new. Um, My other dog of 10 years passed away and then we adopted um, another dog, Lucy, who's four years old. So that's our family. (laughs) That is so sweet. I love that you include your pets in your family. (laughs) My fur child is very much a part of my family as well. And your boys are at uh, such fun ages. Those are really great creative ages. Um, I love it. I love it so much. I know that you were athletic, um, before your pregnancies, but can you paint a picture for our listeners about what your fitness routine looked like prior to being pregnant and how maybe that changed during pregnancy? Sure. So, um, 
when I got pregnant with Chase, my first son, um, I was competing in CrossFit at a pretty high level. So I was teaching high school and I would teach all day. And then I'd basically go to the gym and train all night. That was kind of my life. And so I would train six days a week. And the days that I was there, I'd be there, you know, two to three hours. And then I would take one kind of full rest day. So we had already kind of thought um, that we were ready to start trying for kids after regionals. And I think it was like May. So we, I kind of came right out of competitive season and I got pregnant right away, like within that month. Um, and so from there, my training um, decreased, <laughs> which to, at the time was kind of nice for me because I was used to like high stress teaching, high school English, high stress competing, which I loved. But at the same time, it was kind of like I was ready for the next chapter and a little bit more of uh, balance. So. Um, I was still training, I think throughout my pregnancy, I went five days a week to the gym, but only for an hour. And um, almost immediately, I was feeling a little pretty winded, and I didn't quite know what that was at first. But um, so, you know, I was taking it easier in my workouts. And I just kind of modified and worked out till about 35 weeks for my first pregnancy. So that's kind of what that looked like. Um, I was really uncomfortable and could barely walk at that point. It was really bad. Uh, and so I kind of just had to lay off of everything at that point. And, um, with, when I, with Dean, um, I worked out as well. I would say same thing about five days a week. Um, but I went into it with different strategies, which we'll talk about obviously in the podcast, cause I knew, um, what was going on with my body and there are different considerations that I needed to take into account. So I went into it like a whole different way. Um, but the, the fitnessing and CrossFit was still there. It just looked different. So when you say you were working out one hour each day, you were still doing CrossFit. It was just, yes, I was versus three hours. Yes. Right. Yes. And so what did your doctor tell you about? Um, so after your births, as far as exercise was concerned, mm -hmm. So my OB in California, so I had a C-section. It was a non-emergency. Um, and she knew I was an athlete. She knew I was a CrossFit athlete. She knew I was competitive. And she told me to wait a full eight weeks to return to anything but walking. And I thought, oh, well, she's really taking care of me. Like she, we're being really conservative here because a lot of times they say, even with C-section, sometimes people still go back after six. And so I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to listen. Like, what's two more weeks? I'm going to come back smart. And I was doing a lot of walking and, and uh, anxious to get back. But at the same time, I listened. And she told me, she was like, at this point, you're pretty good. You're pretty healed up. It's going to take a lot for you to injure yourself. You're fine. So I was like, cool. <laughs> I was like, this is sweet. And so I slowly went back to CrossFit really slow. Like I really did. I thought I was doing everything, um, right. I thought I was being really smart, but I didn't have the knowledge that I have now. So. Oh goodness. Talk about, um, anxious <laughs> to get back. I feel anxious, to, uh, like back up from the situation. Just hearing that makes me feel anxious for, for moms everywhere. Right. Um, I just think that I just fully, fully, fully believe that every woman, whether you've had a C-section or a vaginal birth or no matter what, you mm -hmm. need to go see a PFPT mm -hmm. after your baby is born. Um, goodness, because yeah, you say you know what you know now. You yeah. know, what if that had happened after your first birth? What if after your first birth, you were able to have that knowledge and kind of support, you know? Yeah. I so, was super clueless. Like, bad. It's bad. And it's just, a, I just, I just don't understand why it's not just in the system for all women. Go see pelvic floor PT, get your assessment, get your individual situation and proceed from there. I mean, my whole trajectory of this whole entire thing would have been completely different. And I think that, um, oh my goodness, thousands of women are probably in the same boat as you, right? I think there are so many people who are, um, probably suffering in silence, but 
-hmm. you know, you feel alone, but you're not really alone. There's actually thousands of you. It just takes people stepping up and saying, Hey, me too. Um, yeah, for you know, sure. me too movement. Hey, look at that. Yeah. So it does right. it takes people to, to bring awareness, but to also say like, this has to change. This needs to be in our system. This is, this is crucial and essential to women's health care, and it should mm -hmm. just be a right. Like we just need this to be okay. And that has to be okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So did you have, um, DR after your first birth and what happened after your second birth? Did yeah. It so, it the same? Yeah. This is where some of this I'll never know because I never got a true assessment before my second kid. So my first one, what happened is I went back to CrossFit. Now I gained a lot of weight with Chase. Um, and you know, the other thing is they're always like, Oh, you should gain 25 to 35 pounds. And then if you're over that, it's like this weird thing. And it's like, if you're healthy, <laughs> you know, and then women get down about that. And it's like this whole, this whole weight gain during pregnancy thing, I, I think can be really unhealthy and it makes me sad. Um, I think doctors need to look at the whole picture a little bit more than just like shooting off numbers. But anyway, it never really bothered me, but I did gain a lot of weight with Chase. So I lost it around like took me about six or seven months. I kind of did it slowly and I took my time and I was breastfeeding and I was kind of figuring it out that. And then when I went back to the gym, I wanted to make sure everything was good and I had enough milk. And then once I started feeling comfortable, I kind of started getting back to my usual eating, nothing extreme, but then I lost the weight and my stomach was still severely protruding. Like I couldn't figure it out. And it wasn't like it was like just skin or fat or something that would have made sense. It was it was like hard when I touched it and I just, I just like could not figure it out. So at this point, um, I had, you know, a severe, uh, I had a, an issue there. My rectus muscles were way over on the side of my body and I just had no idea. And I was doing, well, I, I just think back to what I was doing at the gym at that time. And I, it's just like almost a bad nightmare to think about. Like, I'm like, I can't believe I was doing all that stuff. I just had no idea. And I felt no pain. So that was after my first pregnancy. And then from there, I went through this whole traumatic moment where I diagnosed myself at home and my hand went, go, went into my stomach and I was on the floor, the bedroom, like, and it was just terrible. And so to make a long story short from there, I finally made myself my, my way to a pelvic floor PT. So I made my way there kind of out of a miracle because my mom was at PT for her back. And someone's like, oh, well, your daughter, she was talking about me. And she said, oh, your daughter should see this pelvic floor PT, which I didn't even know there was such a thing. And even if I did know there was such a thing, I had a C-section. So why would I see a pelvic floor PT? So totally, totally clueless. So anyway, so I go to her and she feels around in there. <laughs> She's like, oh my gosh, not only were my rectus muscles way on the side, but they were hard because I had been doing so much stuff I should not have been doing. And she's like, okay, can't make any promises, but we're going to see what we can do. She worked on my scar tissue, which I didn't know was another thing. I didn't know was a thing. You have a C-section, get the scar tissue work. Scar tissue can do a lot of damage. So she did a lot of that. She kind of um, did a lot of work on my muscles, kind of got those rectus muscles to move back a little bit. I laid off some stuff at the gym. Um, I laid off all the heavy weights and all, all the stuff. Yet again, I kind of back, backed myself up after this whole traumatic thing that I figured out. And then after a couple months of PT, I kind of ended my PT with her, but I did not understand really still <laughs> what was going on. And, and she is a wonderful lady and actually a friend of mine, and I'm not speaking poorly of her. She just didn't have that other training to quite understand this in my particular case. So we were only looking at the, the gap. So when you lay down and you kind of come up, your abdominals come together and then you can put your fingers there and you can kind of feel like how far away is my rectus muscles. But that's all we were measuring. We weren't measuring what the fascia and what it felt like, like where your hand was going in. Like, was it taut? Was it 
Um, did it feel strong or did your hand just still sink in even though maybe the gap had closed? And that, there was no talk of that at all. So my stomach looked a little bit better, but it still wasn't like that great. But uh, my understanding was that I was more functional than I was. Because when I would come up, it would be at like a three and a half, where before I was at like a nine or a 10. So I was like, it's a miracle. I'm healed. Like, this is so much better. And she's like, yeah, now you're there coming in. So that's better. And so I was like, thank goodness. You know, I knew I was going to have another kid. So I thought, all right, well, it's not perfect, but you know, I'm going to have another kid. So whatever. So then I slowly went back into CrossFit and kind of put all the movements back in I wasn't doing and all of that thinking that I was in better shape than I actually was at that time. From my understanding, again, I can't go back and like assess myself because I didn't know, I didn't even know what I was assessing at that time. So then I went back crossfitting, I was crossfitting hard. Um, I didn't, I wasn't competing. I wasn't three hours a day, but I was there an hour a day, five days a week. And that was my me time. And I wanted to feel like myself. So I was going hard and uh, didn't have any pain. Although some things didn't feel right. My deadlifts never felt right and like L-sits and some things at the gym, I knew something wasn't quite right and it, it wasn't getting right. Um, but I'm like, well, I'm going to have another kid. And so I'm just, you know, this is, I'm, I'm good. Well, sometime in all of that midst of that, I had <laughs> in the CrossFit world, I had found this girl, uh, Brianna Battles, who has now since created this course for coaches. And she's big on social media and trying to like change the message with this, especially in the fitness world. And I'd gotten her name from Lindsay Valenzuela, who's a, a famous CrossFit athlete that I trained with years ago in California when I lived there. And her sister, Ashley, saw me post something on social media. Because I think at this point, I posted my stomach on social media for the first time like years ago. And I was like, hey, this is what's going on. This is like reality. And trying to empower myself through that at, the, at that moment, trying to open up She's like, you should text this Brianna. She's going through similar stuff. So I like call this random stranger and I'm like, hey. <laughs> and so she's like telling me what to do and what not to do at the gym and all this stuff. And we're, and she's going to these PTs and I tried a couple other PTs and we're talking, right? And we're trying to figure out all this stuff. Just not even knowing what's going on, spending money and doing crazy things. And then finally she finds Julie Weave and she calls me. And this is like a couple months before I got pregnant with my second son. She's like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like she just got back with seeing Julie and she was telling me all this stuff about breathing and, and I could not even process it in my mind at that moment. Like I remember exactly where I was. I was in the car coming back from the gym. My parents were watching Chase and I remember the moment she told me and I was like, oh, well, this is good. But like I just, I was, you know, I was at the gym, I was doing my stuff and I was just not ready to hear anything. Like I'd already stepped back a million times and like, I just didn't want to hear it. So then like a month or two later, I got pregnant with Dean. And then I was like, all right, I'm like, I got to figure this out. This is ridiculous. So I called Bree. We had a FaceTime. She told me the whole thing. I bought Julie Weeb's piston course. I did it online. I knocked, as soon as I got pregnant, I stopped doing toes to bar sit-ups. Like I stopped lifting heavy, like everything. Like I was crossfitting, but like, I was just like figuring out the breathing, figuring out my strategy and trying to like set my body up to be as safe and prepared as it could be for the second pregnancy. So my second pregnancy, I did a pretty good job managing the pressure and I tried, you know, fixing all that stuff as much as I can and being very, very aware. But I already had a, a severe, my stomach was already really weak. I had another really big baby and that baby just settled right into that area. Just just stretching and killing my fascia every day more and more, even with good strategies that I had. So after my second, I mean, now I know where I'm at right after the baby, where I'm at now and like things that has changed from there. And it's definitely worse than it was just even from an aesthetic standpoint, I can tell that it's worse, but it wasn't until I really learned that it has to do with the fascia density and how it responds. And it's not just the gap and like, really seeing the whole picture that now I can really like understand what's going on. And so before I never really knew, and I'm really mad now. I wish I had more like 
videos and things and now I can see with this pregnancy and compare and learn more, but I don't because I just didn't know. So I think the important thing or the something that stuck out to me the most is that that realization sometimes of like, oh my goodness, something is wrong. Yeah. Sometimes comes really late in the game, yes. right? So sometimes you're not you don't even know what to look for no. so, so long. And for me, that is what I hope to kind of spread awareness is like kind of yeah. what you're looking for. Yes. Um, Cause that is what really stuck out to me. And, and you said you were like on the floor with your whole hand and they're like, yeah. holy cow, what's happening to my body. Right. Yeah. And that's, and, and, the, and I, you know, I had a severe aesthetic thing going on, but not everybody does. Like they can have some stuff going in there and their stomach look okay and not really know. And that's, what's so weird about this is your body, it, it, the way that your body can respond is so different and everybody looks so different that you can't just say, well, if your stomach's sticking out, then yeah, you better check for it. Like it can show up in other ways and your stomach cannot can be flat and you can still have dysfunction there, you know? And so that's, it's just, it's a really kind of complicated thing because everybody, it shows up in everybody's body so differently. That's just even more reason why literally every person should have a PFPT look at them. So yeah. can you explain the, um, the term coning for us? Yeah. So, so it's good because, um, I know I talk a lot about CrossFit world, but that's my world. <laughs> um, it's good because there's a lot of awareness now all of a sudden and everyone's kind of, they know what to look for. And so that's good, but there's more to it than just that. Um, but basically like if I were to do a setup, um, my stomach would be basically come to like a point. So it'd look like, like a teepee or something like that. And that's happening because the fascia is weak and the rectus muscles that are separated are coming together. So it's showing that that, 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 that moment, the pressure there is um, not being distributed in a very good way. So, and that's something you can physically see, which is really cool because you can see, oh, well, my stomach's coning, I better lay off of this. Or you can practice, um, you know, Julie Weeb's piston breath. If you can get that breath going, sometimes you can get rid of that and still be able to do whatever that movement is. And then you're in a safe um, position where you're not injuring yourself or um, putting added stress on your body. So I hope I explain it. Like a teepee, I think that's the best way to kind of explain it. Or like a dome. It's doming. I mean, for all of our listeners can definitely visit your Instagram to see um, examples of, of yeah. what, um, what it looks like. Right. So, diastasis recti is, is, so common, right? Many women experience a little bit of DR with pregnancy. Some don't, but many do. And I always yeah. try to remember um, or try to remind, I guess, the people I work with um, to remember it's common, but not normal. So mm -hmm. like painful sex, it's common, but it does not have to be your new normal, right? It, it, it doesn't have to be like that. But right. that leads me to ask like, how do you fix it, right? Like, so right. these are the common questions that I get. How do you fix it? Right. Who do you ask for help? What yes. is it even? Yeah. So you had quite the journey. Tell us yeah. about um, what you learned along the way. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> so crazy. I mean, yeah, because you know, when you're pregnant, your muscles have to move, so the baby's got somewhere to go, right? you know? <laughs> and you know, I have a really short torso and I had big babies and you know, so it goes some of that, you know, and some of it's genetic, like, the way your fascia responds. Like some of it is just the cards that are dealt to you. Like you can do everything right and you can still have issues. You could do, you know, whatever. So part of this, part of what happened to me was just the cards that were dealt to me on top of the fact I made it way worse. So it's like the two worst, <laughs> like the worst combination there could be. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you know, especially like, and if some women go to check, like, you know, two weeks after birth and they're like freaking out, well, that's normal for things to still be like all jumbled up in there, right? Like you have to give it some time naturally just to um, come back together. So I spent a lot of time before I knew what I know now, um, trying to wear those abdominal binders because you, you know, I'm just online scouring, trying to find things and so much stuff online is so 
not good with this. Um, but so I tried wearing these binders and like when I took it off, I'd be like, Ooh, I look better. And then like an hour later I'd be like, mm, okay. And then, so I'm like, well, I got to wear it more. And, uh, so that was something I did. And now I'm not saying that that's never a good thing. You know, after my C-section, I wore some light binding both times just because I felt like my insides were going to fall out and you just want to feel, you know, like put together. And I'm not, you know, saying that's necessarily a bad thing. But um, overall, like you said, I mean, you really have to talk to the professionals because once in a while they do recommend that. But almost every PT I saw did, did not want me wearing um, a binder, which I was super confused because I was like, well, I thought this is like where I was talking to everybody and this is supposed to help and I'm reading all this stuff. And um, so I went through the binder journey part. <laughs> it was like one part. Then I went through trying some online programs because there's a lot of online programs out there and they're not necessarily bad. And they're definitely not going to make your, um, you, you, you know, your anything worse. But I think sometimes what happens is women get tricked into thinking that those are, those programs are going to heal them. So I did, a, I tried a couple different online programs. Um, and I was really upset because I wasn't fixed because I was under the impression I was going to be fixed. Right. So then I went through that phase. <laughs> um, then when I found my first pellet four PT, um, she, I kind of like, I knew what not to do. She helped me, but still only to that extent where I felt like I got back to a part where she, helped me undo some of the damage I did, but I still didn't know what to do to make it better because I started finding like I test different times and I'd have my gap would be a different size. And I'm like, oh, well, didn't we just fix this? Why is it worse now? Or why does it feel better now? So then I went through that phase where I thought, oh my God, I'm down to a two, like I'm healed. But why does my stomach look like this? Well, maybe it's just skin. I don't know. Like, and, and then from there, then it would be bad again. And I'd be like, huh? And then uh, I went through that whole thing. Um, then I went through, well, I'm nursing. So then when I'm done nursing, that'll help, which I think it did a little bit because those hormones, I mean, they make a big difference with your healing. But I think I had more hopes that that was going to make a bigger difference than it did, you know, because I was like, oh my God, this is it. I'm going to be done nursing and it's going to be fixed. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it helped, but it wasn't that drastic of a, of a thing. Um, cause that's definitely part of that. So I just, oh, it was just up and down and up and down and up and down. And then after I had my second son, I did, I kind of knew what I was doing. So I felt better, but I, I went back to that first PT cause that's all I had around here. And she was still a little confused and I felt like I was much better off than I was. And then when Brianna came in for her seminar that I had her hold at the CrossFit gym, she, now again, she's not a PT, but she feels a lot of stomachs. And she was like, Lisa, <laughs> I just have to laugh. It's so horrible, but I just have to laugh at this point because she was just like, Lisa, you need, you just need to find another PT. You need some more professional help. She's like, this is not what you think it is. So I, it's <laughs> just like, okay. And this was after even I kind of knew, I, but I still, the key is getting the right professional. I mean, that is like the whole moral of the story is being able to find the right professional. Because even after I found the breathing and tried to fix my alignment and did all this stuff, like I, it wasn't enough until I had someone working with me directly. So I was, uh, so anyway, yes. So my, the biggest takeaway from, okay, what do I do? How do I heal? What's going on is finding that good professional. But the trick is how do you know? Because my other late, everyone said she's the best around and she really tried and she read articles and she was really, she tried all of these different things on me and all of this stuff. And how would you not know that she wasn't like, helping. And that's the other whole part to this thing is it's like this underground like mystery of like, first of all, getting someone to a pelvic floor PT is like so hard. And then getting them to someone who is up to date with the most progressive stuff, especially for female athletes. 
um, that want to do things and don't want to say, well, just don't do this. Just walk. That's not what we want to do. You know, um, how can we still do those things? What strategies can we have so we can still do the things that we love? Okay. Yeah. I'm not doing sit-ups fine, but like, what, what can I do? Um, and so that's the biggest thing. And I think at this point, like I've been telling people to like interview these public four PTs and have some questions to ask them. Like I'll ask them, like, do they know who Julie Weave is? Do they follow her work? Her work? Um, do they know, you know, who Diane Lee is? Do they follow her work? I mean, you know, just some basic questions you can ask. Um, you know, do they work with athletes? Have they worked with CrossFit athletes if they're a CrossFit athlete or not? Either way, it doesn't matter if you're doing CrossFit, you're deadlifting your kids and you're deadlifting car seats all day long. You've got to have the right strategies to do it. You just have to. Um, and so, and I think the other thing is to try to stay offline because there's now there's more awareness about it, but then it turns into this fear mongering, like, Oh my gosh, I have a two centimeter gap. I'm going to need a tummy tuck surgery, you know, and everyone's like freaking out about how they're going to look and what's going to happen. And, that makes me sad because it's not, if you just get the right information, then you can rehab and, and be fine. So it's really not a scary thing. But I, so I, I really want people to understand that it's really not. You just kind of have to really fight hard and advocate to get the right help. And once you do, it's all okay. <laughs> it really is. It's all okay. Um, it's, yeah, go ahead. It's just about, I think, it's just about being educated as a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about understanding what is happening to your body during pregnancy, what is happening during the birth process, no matter what your birth experience looks like. But mm -hmm. then also about that postpartum body and healing. Like it is just so important to understand the, just at the base is like what is happening to your body. And yes. then that allows you to know the questions to ask, right? Yes. So I imagine that some listeners are out there probably thinking, I don't even know enough to ask. Okay. So there's your starting point. Um, if you're sitting there listening to that and right. that is you start with learning what happens to your muscles and your belly and your pelvic floor and mm -hmm. just kind of all your body during yeah. pregnancy birth and then postpartum and that will allow you to be a much more educated consumer just right there yeah I had no clue and like I look back and part of me is angry that I didn't educate myself because I'm one of those people that like I am researching crap out of everything before I do anything like and you know, I mean it's just I'm like how is this something that's just not it like it still blows my mind to this day that I was that clueless so I'm angry at myself and I'm angry at everybody else. And just the whole, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's like a, well, it's a cultural thing right now that we don't take care of our postpartum mothers. Right. But it's just like, how was this not out there in these, in the fitness world? Like, I mean, oh man, you see moms doing sit-ups, trying to get, get their flat stomachs back and all this misinformation. And it's just heartbreaking. I'm like, how did I not even know? And then there's a lot of just language that people use like, oh, if your abs are split, come take this. It, your abs are all, are never sewn together. They're never, I mean, yeah, if you right. look at the muscles on a, if you look it up, you see there's a little separation there. Like that's how everybody's are just baby or not. Yeah. They and don't then, touch they don't touch. Right? right. And so they're saying it's a split and then everyone's freaking right. out their <laughs> stomach split in half. It's like, Oh my gosh. Like, ah, oh, so sad. I hate it. I hate it. So, uh, yeah, they move cause you're pregnant and a lot of people just move back and some people don't. And sometimes people make it worse to not let them move back. And there's all different kinds of scenarios, but just even understanding that, um, then the other problem is there's all, there's becomes to be more awareness about this, but then what happens to all the women that are experiencing prolapse or, you know, that are kind of like silently suffering because nobody talks about that or everyone's joking about the fact that they leak. So everyone's talking about that, but just accepting that that's normal. So we've got all of these dysfunctions happening postpartum. And because women don't exactly understand why or how they're happening, they don't know what to do to help themselves heal and they don't even know what like you said what questions to ask or what um how to find someone to help them i mean so many people have don't even know that there are such things as pelvic floor pts 
all that's terrible. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, it's a piece of women's health and medicine that is just totally unexplored, right? The, the pelvic floor just kind of in general. Um, so I always recommend four tips to my postpartum parents. Well, first and like not in the Ford is to get to a PFPT now. So you need to be seeing a PFPT. I can't say it enough. I really just can't, but mine are to pay attention to your posture, be aware Mm -hmm. of certain body parts when lifting, Mm-hmm. Sneeze before you sneeze. And then I try and introduce them to piston breathing. Mm-hmm. What are your tips for women who are thinking, oh my word, this <laughs> is me. I need to take immediate action. Yeah. So it's overwhelming. It is so like I even when you even when you're getting good tips like that, it's like, what? <laughs> like it just seems so overwhelming because this is your daily movement. You're moving like this daily. You're picking up things. You're sneezing. You know, you're standing. You're holding babies. You're nursing. All of this stuff, whatever you're doing. Like, and so it can be overwhelming. And sometimes it's just like, well, I, don't, I can't. This is ridiculous. Like, I'm not. I can't change all this stuff. Like, now I have to change my breathing. I'm used to holding my breath when I pick stuff up. And now I have to change where I'm blowing before I go. Like, this is nuts. Um, what I ended up doing, which was very successful for me, uh, was doing it little by little. Um, and I know Julie talks about this in her, in her online piston course, but she's like, when you're standing in the shower, work on your alignment and just start there. And that's really not overwhelming at all. May, oh, maybe, you, and well, I take that back because <laughs> new moms don't always get to shower every day. So you might have to pick a different time <laughs> when you're standing there. But, <laughs> um, you know, Pick a time like that, you know, 10% of your day or whatever, like, and just start small, small and practice some breathing at the end of the day, or every time you pick up the, the car seat, cause that's not a million times a day. That's probably a couple times and kind of set those small goals to stop and be intentional about what you're doing. And then before you know it slowly, but surely, slowly, but surely it does become automatic, like being able to change those daily habits. It was, it was, um, yeah, it was a definitely a long, long process for me, especially because I had all that weightlifting, breathing ingrained in my brain. We take a big breath and you lift. I mean, that's how I did everything. Um, but most people do. Um, most people do it that way. My sister-in-law that's in my postpartum athleticism class who hasn't done fitness since, I don't know, even high school. She's like, oh, I feel, I mean, I feel so much better when I hold my breath and I'm holding my breath every time I pick up the kid. And I said, no, that's natural. I said, that's natural. You're not doing anything wrong. It's just for this healing process, we have to change it. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, I think that that's, you know, my biggest piece of advice is just kind of don't set up the expectation. You're just going to change everything in one day because it's not going to happen. I like to tell new parents um, to practice their breathing um, and their focus on on those body parts I was talking about every time they pick up their child, especially newborn. So they're lightweight, right? And they're tiny. Yeah. And normally they're pretty elevated. So you're not going all the way down like you would into like a toddler's bed. Right. Right. So, and, and you have a million chances to get that right. Think about how many times you pick up your baby. A bajillion. The perfect, like, right. (laughs) Bottom at that slope. It is just so it's a nice transition. I find it is really easy for you to like catch yourself and you're like, Oh, but it's only 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to pick my kid up 257 more times oh today. Like, look yes. at the chances you have to get it right. So the practice yes. is just kind of organically there. Yeah. That's my favorite. That's good. So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I, think, I love this stuff. <laughs> I think that's something a lot of women don't realize is that for the entire time that you're breastfeeding, your body is changing, right? So until you stop breastfeeding, your hormones are always changing. Well, mm-hmm. you know, our hormones as females change no matter what. There, there's always a fluctuation, but more if you are a breastfeeding parent. Right. And I think that affects it so much. And you had hinted to this earlier. Yeah. So I didn't, I learned that from my first PFPT. Um, and she said, well, you're still nursing and that can slow things down. I'm like, really? No, I mean, no clue. You know, I had no clue. Um, 
And so I had figured that out a little bit sooner that that could affect my healing. So that was good that I was at least aware of that. But I think, um, I think the biggest thing with that, with, with moms is to just, if you are nursing, if that's something you're doing, um, being aware that that affects everybody differently. Um, so you could wean and you could have the surge of healing or you could not. It's the same thing as with women with how that affects, um, I don't know, lots of things, but, um, and I think it's very, very important for women to understand that if they're doing any type of fitnessing besides just the mom fitness of picking things up a million times a day. But if you're doing something outside of that, right, and you're going to the gym and you're working out and you're nursing still, you have to take that into a consideration. I think sometimes moms don't want it. They just want to feel like themselves. They want everything back. And they're like, ah, I just want to go. But like, it is a consideration that you, you need to take into account. And um, it's, you know, it's important. It's important to be aware of, of how that affects um, your healing. And also just um, sometimes, you know, your, your muscles and your joints and your hips and like all that stuff. I mean, it, it, it is a consideration that needs um, probably more attention for sure. It definitely influences so much. I think that it is definitely um, kind of one of those gray areas that a lot of people forget to, to really pay attention to is the fact that, you know, if you're still breastfeeding, things are definitely still different in your body. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge advocate of if your doctor um, or any provider really isn't listening to you about your body then it is time to change providers. Mm -hmm. I recently had an IUD uh, misplaced and it, it really wrecked my body. I felt like I was not listened to and I was waved off from the very beginning. So this is definitely a spot that I can resonate with. Making sure that you feel like your provider is listening to you is a priority. What has been your journey um, with this and the pelvic floor therapist? Yeah, so... Um... I definitely think my first pelvic floor therapist listened to me. She really did. She, she helped me with the tools that she had and she did. She helped me. And so that's, what's so hard is like, I, I wouldn't have expected her to do anything differently. She just did what she could. Now there was another one that I saw, um, before I'm with my current, my, my current one right now, that was probably one of the worst experiences. I've ever had. And I think it was more, I think it was more traumatic for me because I still was on this journey and I just did not have the answers I wanted. And then I had a really bad experience, which made me even more upset. She, she just didn't even listen to me in the appointment. Like she was just pushing all this stuff on me. And she was like, um, it was just, she was like talking about some book she wrote because she was like a PhD and I've just never felt so like brushed. And then she wanted to write an article about me. Like she was going to like heal me and then wanted to write an article. But I'm like, you, she didn't even feel my stomach. <laughs> she did not even feel my stomach. I'm like, hello. Like, this is why, you know, like, oh my gosh, it was so bad. So I never went back to her. That was easy one. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I'm not going right. back to this lady. Right. But it was, it was, it was, oh, it was so frustrating for me. It really, really was. Um, and I think um, for women out there, I think you need to find a PFPT that is willing to work with you on your goals. Because a lot of times, Sometimes you'll get with a provider and they'll say, well, just don't do this. Well, if that's something you really want to do, I mean, given some limitations, okay, you know, you can't do everything, but they should want to, they should be working with you to be able to do the thing that you want to do and be really invested and care and want to do that. And if they're not doing that and they're not trying really hard and, and asking lots of questions and listening to what you have to say, then you need to find somebody else, even if they're really smart and they like, no, because you need that. And especially as a postpartum woman who already feels so isolated and alone and like nobody gets it, like your PFPT needs to be your biggest fan. <laughs> they really, really do. And mine right now is amazing. She totally is. I could talk about her all day. <laughs> I love it. I think something that you mentioned that's good to, to highlight is that sometimes it does take more than one set of eyes, right? And 
it takes a village, but that does not stop in childhood. Um, sometimes it does take kind of, uh, you know, a mix of people to look at your situation and come Absolutely. up with something that I do love that you highlight. Make sure your person is willing to meet you where you're at. Um, mm -hmm. I think that is super, super, super important. And it's something that I encourage of the people that I work with from the very beginning. Well, you know, whether you are trying to conceive or you're postpartum and anywhere along that journey, um, it's really important that you are working with people who they do. They understand you. They respect you. They ask you questions, um, but they listen to you, you know? Mm -hmm. So you had talked about earlier that you tried all, a couple, not all of them, mm -hmm. but a couple online mm -hmm. programs, right? So what do you say about the many programs out there? So for me, I just try and expose my clients to them, just all the programs I know and what makes each one unique. I just want my clients to know what's available yes. rather than um, I have no experience, you know, taking these courses. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's good to give some reputable courses that you know are good because if you go online, like I said, it's contradicting information. It's a nightmare. It's overwhelming. It's a nightmare. People try to sell quick fixes and it's really scary. So it's better to get them doing some reputable program, you know, th than something else. You know what I mean? It's like That is a win. But also having them understand that, you know, they're probably going to need more than that. Um, even when I took, you know, Julie Weave's Piston Breathing course, I thought my rib cage was down like with that gut alignment. And I was like, okay, so I'm, I was not doing that until I got in with my PT and she helped me and we did a lot of alignment stuff, which I would say working on my alignment was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've done a lot of physical like competitive things that were really, really hard. That was really hard. And I couldn't have done it alone. There's just no way I could have ever done that alone. And because I have fixed those types of things, I can do some more things at the gym because my alignment's better. And then I'm happy because I can put more movements back in that I want to do for right now. Um, but I think, yeah, I just think, I just think as long as women go into it knowing, Hey, this is, this, this might not, heal all of your stuff. If you, if you do this program and go see a public for PT, that's probably going to be a pretty cool winning combination. Um, but I think that that's pretty much the answer. Unfortunately, some women that message me on Instagram and stuff, they can't afford a public for PT or there's none around them that are good or, you know, I mean, so you got to work, got to give them what you can. So an online program is better than nothing. Um, so I think, uh, I don't know, postpartum just needs to be better for us. <laughs> for sure. Oh, we're fighting the good fight. We're all in this yeah. together. Um, I think we'll get there. One day we'll get there. So can you tell us um, a little bit about your DR currently? What progress have you made? What steps are ahead? I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to cheer <laughs> you on. Um, it is cool. I feel like all these random people are cheering me on on, on Instagram. Uh, and it's amazing what'll happen when you bear your largely deformed stomach on Instagram. People really uh, go go crazy. Yeah. It, apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so right now I've made a lot of progress um, in my um, in my fascia density and a lot of things just uh, below my rib cage. All that rib cage work that I was talking about paid off dividends. And that just goes to show for me, it's cool because in that spot, I've made a lot of progress and I, and I understand and can feel what it would be like for someone to be able to actually heal their stomach on their own through PT exercise and whatever. So I get it in that one spot. Now the spot by my belly button is a whole different story. Um, the fascia there is just pretty unresponsive. So I'm not going to be getting a lot more progress in that area. Although, um, uh, with that spot, I still have made, like, you know, when I went in after Dean, my second son, and they, you know, I was about, you know, 10 centimeters or something like that. Well, actually probably more. Cause when Julie measured my resting, when I was with her, it was like at 11 or something, 11 centimeters. So God knows what it was right after birth. I don't even know. It's just like horrifying to think about. But um, so now actively when I sit up, 
I'm at about a three and a half at my belly button, but my hand sinks in. So that's the difference between under rib cage, belly button area. Resting, my stomach's protruding. It's very large. I think it's like 10 centimeters or something resting and, um, and whatnot. But, you know, I stopped. Hormones take a long time to regulate. So I weaned Dean at 11 months. So it was like September. So, you know, I'm just around that six month ish mark of that. And so, you know, Dean's going to be about a year and a half, which some people a year and a half sounds so long, but it's really not a long time postpartum at all for things to be, whether you nurse or not. I mean, it's just hormone, everything. I mean, there's so much going on. So um, that's a big reason why I'm waiting for surgery because of that, because I'm still playing around with PT. And I'm still playing around with adding things in to my PT and I'm starting to do kind of like a very mini sit up with my piston and a lot of strategy to kind of get those rectus muscles working again, but without the cone, it's kind of like this whole thing. So there's still things I can play around with just to see what else I can do to make myself as strong as I can before I go in for the surgery. Um, and, and it's, at this point, it's interesting, and I'm trying to like document it all to see like what what really I can do because I'm I'm in, I'm a, in pretty bad shape. Like it's a pretty sad scene, but I'm fighting really hard to see like okay, well, what else can I do even with the sad scene? And it also I hope proves to everybody else out there without such an extreme case or even an extreme case that there's so much they can do on their own before these surgeons send them to surgery, scare them off to surgery and all this stuff. Um, you know, if you want to get surgery because you want to get rid of your skin and whatever, hey, you do you. You do whatever you want to do. But I don't want women to feel pressured that this is the only way they can heal is if they get this um, full abdominoplasty and their muscles are sewed back together because that is a very hard surgery to recover for and I would hate for anyone to have to do it that didn't need to. Then this other lady just messaged me. Oh my gosh. She was like, I got the surgery years ago. And then she's like, and then a whole other slew of issues came with the surgery, which is another thing nobody talks about. Like it's the underground information. Of course, the surgeons, you ask them questions like, well, have you seen an increase in incontinence? Or have you seen prolapse show up after surgery or back back issues or, and of course they're like, no, we don't even touch that stuff. Of course it doesn't affect that. You know, like they look at me like I'm like Miss Nutty Nelly over here, <laughs> which I'm used to now, but I know it's true because I know one person I just talked to and I know a couple of my other friends have told me they've talked to people that have had issues after it too. So that is something I hope people start understanding is that there's a lot of hope for healing. It's not easy, but it is definitely doable. For sure. And you are fighting. You're fighting so hard. And your documentation of this really is inspiring. Um, it's inspiring so many people. And I can see it all over. I'm super excited to share it even further. Can you explain to our listeners why um, your fascia is different widths in different areas of your stomach? Yeah. So... The, um, so, okay. So around my belly button, I have a small umbilical cord hernia. So there's that going on, but it is pretty small, but that's the area that had the most trauma pregnant because it's right by, I mean, that's where you feel most people have the, the weakest spot there, but it also depends on your body and how you carry. But that, and, and I felt that when I, especially when I was pregnant with Dean, with Chase, I felt a lot of pain and stretching there. Ooh, just thinking back to it. With Dean, I was more aware of what it was. So it was almost even worse because I knew what was going on, but it was severely thinned and really under a lot of stress that whole pregnancy, even with me managing the pressure there and, and really, really taking care of myself and, and doing everything um, uh, in a much more conservative way. So, uh, I, my pelvic floor PT did some tests and things on me and she had suspected that the fascia at that part is just unresponsive. So like when you, when you would do a piston breath or something like that, a lot of times your fascia will, you'll feel it respond. 
but, and, um, it's just wasn't. And then she did some other tests and she's like, all right, well, this kind of shows like you have some more healing you can do, but you're going to get stuck at one point. Um, and then, and that's a big reason why I flew to California to see Julie, because I wanted a second opinion from someone that I really trusted. Um, I really do trust my PT here, but she also didn't want to just be the one to send me to surgery. She's like, I want a second opinion. I really want to like do my due diligence on this. And so she was happy that I went out there because it was good for her. Um, and Julie confirmed it after I was there for two hours with her and we went through all this stuff and it was like the best two hours ever. It was so amazing. Cause for once I had someone that was like, I just, I could talk about that all day, but I hadn't, I mean, it'd been years since I felt like someone was like in my corner and just like giving me strategies and hope and like, just, I'm crying, but <laughs> I mean, it was just like so empowering and she gave me like the worst news. She's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're fat. It's not good news to deliver, but that fashion is not responsive. And I was just like all smiles. I'm like, all right. I'm like, because I'm like, now I know what to do next. And it's like, oh man, it was just, it was just, amazing. And so, um, I mean, is that something you can tell on your own? Probably not. I mean, you could be, have some, you, your hand could kind of fly in there, but it might still be, you might still be able to rehab that, you know? I mean, I'm, I don't know how they, you know, test all that, but, um, but anyway, yeah. So it's really all about the fascia. It really is all about the fascia. A lot of people have functional, um, stomachs where you know they got maybe three fingers or whatever there but that fascia is really taut and and dense and they're good to go so anyway <laughs> yeah no I think gosh you're gonna make me cry but I think the fascia is definitely um another piece of the unexplored women's health slash right. Medicine, right? So it's not necessarily just women. Everybody has fascia, but right. especially it's, it's especially important in women. And so I just think, yeah, you know, in, in the, the pain and pregnancy, you mentioned that I think I see that in every single pregnant client that I have. And number one, I start looking at what, what kind of I so I guess my first realm I, I shift to is pelvic floor knowledge. Right. So I kind of take off my um whatever hat and I put on my pelvic floor. <laughs> oh so, yeah, here is this could be the problem. Um, yeah. you know, and then I hate to say it, but every single time I'm 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 really encouraging them to get to a PFPT and so yeah. many people like huff and eye roll, yes. but it, it, it is just so true. I'm so sorry. I hate to break it to you. It is just so true. You really, 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 really need your PFP. Yes. And if you right? can do it while you're pregnant, then they can see where you're at while you're pregnant. Yep. They can give you yep. strategies. You can yep. start learning that stuff while you're pregnant. That way you're not practicing your piston breath when you're picking up a newborn and you're tired, which is, I love that. It was such a good way to practice, but you're practicing while you're pregnant right? Because then by then it will, you will, you will be kind of a master at it when you're really, really need it when you're tired. And, and also if your you're doing any damage, you yes. can stop that and start yes. correcting it before your baby gets here. Right. Yes. I feel like we could go on, oh my gosh. we could go on all day about and this mm -hmm. and that and this and that. <laughs> One of my final questions for you, and I'm, I'm very interested is how has your idea of body image and self-love changed on this journey? Because you seem so confident and I know you further than just pictures on Instagram. And so I <laughs> love you, but I want to know what you feel about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, this is, and it is a constant struggle. Um, I am 120% fine with posting stuff on social media now. That didn't always used to be the case, but now that's just kind of like, I don't even think twice about it. And I realize how important it is because it, everything just blows up when I do it. I'm like, okay, this is needed, obviously. So at that, that's easy to me now. Um, you know, it's still not easy to me to walk around like this all the time. You know, I bear it on social media, but it's not like, when I'm wearing clothes, I'm trying to hide it. I don't want people to ask me if I'm pregnant. You know, I don't want to deal with it. Um, when I go to the gym, I don't try to hide it. I just wear my gym stuff and I own it. And like, 
you know, but I'm still thinking, oh, this person doesn't know me. Do they think I'm pregnant? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, that stuff that, that never goes away. Um, I, you know, I, but what's interesting about this and what I always tell people is because what helps me so much is because my body can functionally still do so many things. Like I can back squat a decent amount of weight. I can deadlift a decent amount of weight. I can bench press a decent amount of weight. And yes, I'm doing those with modified strategies, but I can still move a decent amount of weight even with my dysfunction safely. And because I feel like my body can do these amazing things that I love to do, it brings me a new sense of confidence and a sense that I'm like proud of this. Right. And I always try to own that. I had kids and, you know, everything. And, um, when I went into this pregnancy, I was ready to own like scars and saggy skin and stretch marks. I didn't care about any of that crap. I was like, whatever, but I didn't expect this. And this knocked me down because it has been, it has, it, it has, and still is a struggle for me. And I, cried when I put all of my tight clothes downstairs in a basement in a, you know, in like a clothes hanger thing. I'm not getting rid of them. I'll wear them again, but I cry once in a while when I'm getting dressed, you know, like it'll come and go. It won't last for that long, but I have those moments where I'm just like, this sucks, you know, like, um, and, but it, 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 it has helped me a lot by sharing and hopefully empowering other women to, um, to be proud of it. They can still be sad and not like it. I mean, I don't like the stomach. I mean, I don't like it, you know, but there's a difference between not liking it and also, um, being able to own it. Right. So, I mean, that's what I really try to do. Uh, and what I tell everyone is, you know what, if my stomach looked like this and I was 100% functional at CrossFit and I could do all the movements that I wanted to do safely, no pain, no risk of like herniating anything else or anything crazy, then I honestly might be okay living, looking like this the rest of my life. And I'm not just saying that just to sound cool. Like I honestly might be, I might not, I might want to get it fixed and not look like this, right? But but really, um, because that's such a big, that's a big part of it for me. It really, really is. Uh, but now I'm like, all right, well, you know, I've got a year to help people and play around with this as much and show it off and try to like do whatever I can do before I go in for this big surgery. And then it's, you know, and then that'll be that it's going to be, um, I'm scared for surgery and it's going to be a hard recovery. But I'm not going to lie, I'm excited to be able to wear all those clothes I don't wear right now because of my largely protruding stomach. So um, I, think, I think women sharing their stories and sharing their bodies and sharing just what happened to them in general is something that is really powerful. And I think it will empower other women to be okay at where they're at for right now, whether later they decide to get a surgery or or, or not, or whatever that may be. Um, but being okay with where you are right now with what's going on, I think is something that we can all help each other with. And, um, I've gotten a lot of messages with my, my stomach looks exactly like yours, but how many stomachs like mine do you see around? You don't see them because everyone's hiding them or they're wearing binders under their clothes or, you know, whatever is going on or not talking about it. And, um, and I hate that because if I would have found a me right years ago, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, my stomach looks like yours. Like tell me everything. And it would have been a different story too, you know? And I also, I think would have been more comfortable in my own skin earlier on because in CrossFit world, I was like, all these women are just bouncing back and they have six packs and what happened to me? And that's not true actually in the CrossFit world, but that's what you see. And so I just felt it took me a long time to be able to come around to that and not be embarrassed that I was a regional athlete and why don't I look like I'm fit in quotes anymore, even though I was fit. 
in quotes, <laughs> if that makes sense. Wow. You are so <laughs> inspirational. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Where, um, where can people find you if they want to also follow along with your journey? Because you are, you're making waves and you're making big impacts. I think that you are shining a brighter light than you are giving yourself credit for. Um, so I think, I think you're, you're touching a lot of lives out there. Uh, I hope so. Um, it's definitely what keeps me going and I, um, kind of just can't stop writing or thinking or doing things about this anymore. Like sometimes my husband's like, can we not talk about vaginas today? <laughs> and he's super supportive, but you know, this is like all I think about, and especially when it comes to, cause like I don't have vagina issues. Um, luckily, but you know, all the women in my group and you know, there's a lot of vagina issues and I'm trying to learn about those because I'm not experiencing that myself. Right. But I want to learn about that. And, um, anyway, it's just kind of funny, but, um, so I've got my Instagram. It's lisa.marie.ryan. And I also have a blog, which I always screw it up. How I say this, I think for a second, lisa ryan 22blogspotcom And so my journey there, I'm writing and documenting each time I visit a plastic surgeon. I also have my entire story typed out on there up to like right after I saw Julie Weeb. I did that on the plane there and back and then worked out when I got home. I think I needed to do it for my own like mental sanity, but also because if people just like find me, they're like, what the heck's going on? I'm like you can read this and know like this is kind of the story, which we pretty much went through in the podcast, but there's more stuff. I could talk about this for like 8 million hours. And, um, so that's a good place to follow me. And then I have Facebook too, um, at Lisa Marie Ryan, uh, 22 is my Facebook handle. So I'm on there. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. Listeners go, go reach out, go follow her pages, um, follow her journey. It really, really is inspiring. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show with us. As always, village members, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know that you can join our online tribe? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching the Tranquility Tribe podcast on Facebook. And our Instagram tribe is Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers.